Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and the payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt and because, because you pleaded with me, and should not have you had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do every, to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 18. It's where we are this morning. And we're in a series of messages called Parables of Grace. And this morning we're going to be looking at the parable of the unforgiving servant who owed his king 10,000 talents. What's that? 10,000 talents. Well, let me, I'll get to that in just a minute. Let's talk about someone else. Let's talk about Jerome, or maybe I should say Jerome, Curviel. That's how an Oki speaks French. Okay, pretty sophisticated. That's right, Woohoo! This is Jerome Curviel. Jerome, thank you. Thank you very much. I will just speak like this the rest of the sermon. You will be annoyed. <laughs> Do you know who he is? He is, I'll tell you who he is. He is currently the most indebted person in the world. Jerome owes his former employer $6.3 billion. He um, was convicted a couple of years ago of uh, illegal trading in the area of arbitrage. uh, And he was sentenced to three years in jail and fined. $6.3 billion. That's how much he owes. He is the world's, right now, most indebted person. 
And um, he's out on appeal. He's lost one appeal. And I believe this month uh, we will hear from France's highest court. His former employer was a bank called uh, Society General, a French bank called Society. We're good. All right. Where was I? $6.3 billion. He's out on appeal, and uh, we'll hear from France's highest court this month. That'll make the final determination as to his case. In the meantime, he's working at a job that pays approximately 40000 U.S. Dollars per, per year. Okay? If every one of those dollars goes to pay off his debt and there's no interest charged, he will be paying off that debt a hundred and forty seven thousand five hundred years. Okay? I got the nod from Adam Petzl, who is our math professor, all right? So, anyway, I don't think he's going to make it. So, it's largely a symbolic fine. Um, But, wow, to go through the rest of your life with that millstone around your neck... My goodness. You know, he needs to live in a country where his government would just cancel that debt if he's going to get out from Otherwise, he's not going to get out from under. Wouldn't it be something to live in a country where even in spite of something like what he did, the government would just cancel that debt and it would be gone? Where What country might that be? That was the nation of Israel. Ancient Israel. Ancient Israel had codified, um, and you can look it up in Deuteronomy chapter 15. You can look it up in Leviticus chapter 25. These were called the Sabbath years. And then these were called the year of Jubilee. The Sabbath year was every seventh year in Israel's history. And the year of Jubilee was after seven Sabbath years, uh, Sabbath years, so every 50th year. All debts would be remitted. Any slaves would be released. And it was just, and why would God be so magnanimous to do something like this? Well, God's people had been slaves of Egypt for centuries and centuries And they had felt the millstone of slavery around their neck. And so when God liberated them from Egyptian slavery, he 
you know, it was as if he was saying, I don't want you to treat others the way that the Egyptians treated you when you were slaves. You are liberated people. Now I want you to live in a liberated way. And so when Jesus tells this parable in Matthew chapter 18, why I mean, he is speaking to a people, a Hebrew people, who have that rich heritage. And actually there are people who are longing for that kind of jubilee to happen. Because it hadn't happened. Because they were feeling the crushing oppression of the Roman Empire. And so they, they could feel the weight of indebtedness and the oppression of taxation. They could feel the iron grip of Caesar upon them as an occupied nation, as an oppressed people. And so they listen when Jesus tells about this servant who gets summoned before this king. He knew the day was coming. He gets summoned before him. This servant comes up the stairs and through the double doors and into the palace of his majesty, his highness, the king. He stands there and awaits the presence of his royal excellency. And in the king comes, everybody stands. There's the servant standing. The king takes his seat and the accountant comes alongside of this king Hands him the ledger book, the file. It's got this guy's name in it. King looks at it. And he looks down at the servant. Says, this says you owe me a lot of money. Yes, your majesty. 10,000 talents. Yes, your majesty. And the due date is today. Yes, your majesty. Well, where is it? Sir, the money. Oh. Oh, well, your majesty, I, I don't have it. I don't, I don't, you don't have it. Yes, sir. And it's due today. Yes, sir. I see. And then he begins to have a conversation with his accountant there. They're using phrases like fair market value and appraisals and so on and so forth, kind of accounting language. And they're talking about the guy. They're talking about the servant right there, right in front of his face. They're talking about him. That's what kings do. Talk about their subjects, right in front of their subjects. And, and they're, they're talking about selling, not just the guy's estate, not just the guy's house, but the guy, the, the slave, and his wife, and his children. They're talking about putting the whole, the, the whole thing up for sale to try to make up some of this bad debt. And when the king is done having the conversation with the accountant. He looks back then at the man, only now he's not standing. He's kneeling, and he's pleading, and he's weeping. Please, please, don't, please don't sell me. Don't sell my family. Don't sell my wife. Don't sell my children. Please, I'll pay it back. All I need is more time. If you will just please give me more time, I will pay this back. You ever felt that kind of pressure, that kind of indebtedness? That the, you are trying and, and, and you feel like a slave because it's not just job one, it's job two, and maybe part of job three, you're feeling the crushing pressure of that debt and it just makes you sick to your stomach because you doesn't feel like you're ever going to claw out of it. And then the king does something absolutely unexpected and absolutely amazing. 
The Bible says that he took pity on this servant. That's there in verse 27. And out of pity for him. Pity. I love that word. The New Testament comes to us by way of the Greek language. And the Greek word for pity, it's, it's the word splanknon. Splanknon. I like that word. I should say it in French. How does that sound? If I speak, if an Oki speaks a Greek word in French, never mind. Splanknon. Splanknon. It has to do with the, the innermost, your gut feeling. We get our word spleen from it. You know, he felt it in the gut for this servant. He splanknoned him. And out of splanknon, the king, he tore up the debt. I mean, he just ripped it up right in front of the servant, right in front of the royal court, right in front of the accountant who's going, Ugh, you know. Rips that thing up. Says, okay, you can go. My goodness. And some of you know what that feels like. You know, you know, think about it. You know, you, no mortgage, no credit card, no school loan, no, no car loan. The, 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 a life untethered from debt. Wow, that's freedom. That is freedom. And that's what this servant had. And I, you know what? I don't, I don't think he walked out of that palace. I think he just floated out the palace. And he just floated down the stairs. And I don't think he had to open up the double doors. I think he just slipped right through those double doors. And down the stairs and off to freedom. Or so it seemed. He gets to the bottom of the stairs the Bible says that he found a fellow servant. Found. Found? Was he looking for him? What's that about? I'm concerned. He found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred. What is a hundred denarii? What's a denarii? Denarii is plural for denarius. That word has showed up the last couple of parables, hasn't it? And a denarius is... The amount, it's a coin, looks just like that. There it is. It's the amount of money that a laborer would earn in one day. So it's one day's wage. So whatever your wage is, multiply that by a hundred, and that's how much the guy owed the first servant, which is not an insignificant sum by any means, but that's what it is. And, and all of a sudden, why this this, this person who owed 100 denarii to the first servant found a hand around his throat, choking him, pay me what you owe me. And, and, and notice this fellow servant said practically the same thing that the first servant said to the king. Just give me more time. Just give me more time, please. All I need is just more time. And the first servant, the one who had been forgiven, said, no, I want it now. And he has the guy hauled off in prison. Well, the other servants there at the bottom of the stairs, they saw all of this that took place. They went back to the king. They told the king what happened. And the king's face grew red, and the king's eyes grew wider. And, and you know, they were done. 
bring him back here right now. And so they hauled the guy back, summoned him back a second time. You know, he went up the stairs, through the double doors, into the palace, before the throne room of the king. The king said, were you not here just a little while ago? Yes, your majesty. Did I not call your loan? And did you not plead for patience and more time? And did I, did I not give you, I, I didn't give you what you asked for. I went beyond what you asked for. Did I not forgive the debt, tear up the file, and send you out a free man? Yes, your majesty. And didn't you, is it true that you found a fellow servant who just owed a minuscule of what you owed me and now he's in prison? Is that correct? I want the truth. Yes, your majesty. Well, that jail cell sleeps too. And as far as I'm concerned, you can park yourself until you pay off the entire amount. Now get out of here. And that man went off to jail. And I think he's still there. I do. I think he's still there. And then notice what Jesus says at the conclusion of this parable in verse 35. Very important that we get this. He says, this is God. This is God. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. You want to know who God is and what he's like? This is what he's like. This is, and, and here's what we learn about God from this parable. <laughs> you know, we, with God, we either receive all of his love, all of his mercy, all of his tenderness, all of his compassion, all of his kindness, all of his grace... Or we receive all of his anger. It's, it's either one or the other. With, the God, with our God, we don't get mild irritation. We don't get that. We either get all of grace or all of wrath. That's it. And, and here's what's behind this. This is so, here's why. You see, when Jesus says that the man owed 10,000 talents... He's not just saying that's a huge amount. That, that's not what he's saying there. He's saying, he's saying that no one could ever owe that much money in his day. He's saying that's an incalculable amount. Uh, let's start with the number 10,000. The number 10,000 was the largest number in the Greek language. So, so they didn't have a word for 50,000. If they wanted to say 50,000, they would say five ten thousands. You see what I mean? Because 10,000, that's the largest number used in counting. And then talent, now we get to what the word talent means. What is talent? Talent was the largest denominational unit. The largest monetary denominational unit. A talent was the equivalent of 20 years worth of wages. 20 years, so multiply that by 10,000, you see? So, okay, well, like, what is that in today? Well, okay, let's think about this for a minute. Let's just spend a minute here. The median income in the United States of America, median, is about $50,000. That's the median income per household. So half the country 
has more than that, half the country has less than that. Okay? But about $50,000, give or take. 50,000 times 20 is a million. So that's one talent, right? Times 10,000. What's that? $10 billion. No one can, no one can owe that much money. My, the, the credit card won't let you do that. Right? No one could owe. Not even Jerome. So, so put it another way. This man owed 10,000 talents. Why, in the year 4 B.C., the entire amount of taxes collected in, you know, first century Israel proper was only 600 talents. So not even Herod the Great could owe that much money. So, so why would Jesus say that this man did? Well, remember, it's a parable. So Jesus is telling a story. So he's saying, did you hear about the guy who owed 10,000 talents? And when he said that, everybody laughed. Why? It's humor. It's exaggeration. And then Jesus says, oh, and the guy says to the king, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. Ah, that's hilarious, Jesus. He's never going to pay it back. Oh, and did I tell you he's a slave? And then they really laugh because they know the slave's not going to pay that back. But with one word from the king, one word from the king, it's gone. It's all gone. It vanishes. Or did it? Did it? How are we to read this? Is this, is this about a king who does a, a claw back? A take back? Is that, is that how we're supposed to read this? Or is this about a servant who deliberately chose not to trust the truth of the king? What would we have expected him to do had he actually trusted the king's truth? What would we have expected? How would we have expected him to behave, right? Why, had this guy really received this gift of grace and trusted on it? What would he have done when he got to the bottom of the stairs? So he finds this servant, either intentionally or not. And this guy says, I I know, I still owe you money. What would the guy have said? What money? What are you talking about? Oh, don't worry about that. Forget it. That's what we've expected him to say. Took a little longer to get here to church this morning. You may have skipped a breakfast. Some of you may say out in the foyer here after service is over, why does go have breakfast? let's go eat let's do that my small group often does that and they invite me to come with them knowing that I can't (laughs) I'd like to come to breakfast with you but you know can you can you float me ten bucks sure come on we'll go you can pay it back next Sunday don't worry about it so you have a delightful breakfast. It's great. It's wonderful. But then the next day on Monday, you get a letter certified from Uncle Milton's lawyer. Uncle Milton just passed away. You open up the letter, and Uncle Milton left you $2 million. You're set. You are set. To talk about being untethered. Do you mean to tell me that after that money has been wired to your bank account, 
that you're going to go over to that friend's house that you gave 10 bucks and you're going to beat on that door and say, where's my $10? Really? Both of my sons have birthdays in December. December is a heavy cash flow month. Mainly it's going out. We got birthdays. We got Christmas. My goodness. One of my sons is rather nonchalant about what he wants for Chris uh, for his birthday. He's, he's, he's cool hand Luke. The other son is non-nonchalant. Several years ago, it was November, and uh, we were around the dinner table, and the non-nonchalant one says at the dinner table, well, does everybody know what today is? We look around the table, you know, we're curious about what he's thinking. The non-nonchalant one says, it's November the 15th which makes it one month until December the 15th. And do you know what that day is? And I say, well, of course, December the 15th means it's 15 days until the mortgage is due. What? The non-nonchalant one leaves his wish list on the peninsula so everybody can see. The non-nonchalant one. His initials are Brandon. (laughs) So on that significant day, on that significant day, yeah, there's gifts, right? The non-nonchalant one, for me? No, we're just going to put them on the mantle and stare at them. What? And you know, when you get a gift, you know, you should always say thank you. But what else do people say, right? They say, oh, you shouldn't have. Well, of course they shouldn't have. If they should have, then it wouldn't be a gift, right? It would be payment for services rendered. That's the meaning of gifts. It's free. It is unearned. It's it's not even necessarily deserved because it's a gift. It's a present. I want you to have it. And I want you to enjoy it. There you go. You know that servant who appeared before the king? You know who I think that servant is? We know who, we know who the king is. That's God. You know, do you know who that servant is? You know what? I think he's us. I really do. I think he's us. And here's why. Here's why. And listen, look up here. What I'm about to tell you is the hardest thing, is going to be the hardest thing for you to hear for us to hear, for me to hear. And here it is. From God's point of view, the distance between being ordinarily sinful, which is what we all are, and extremely sinful, which is what the people we don't like seem to be, that distance is like the distance between L.A., and New York City from the point of view of the sun. I guess we'll be watching some football tonight. 
Don't know who you're rooting for. Saw Jason's jersey. He's rooting for the Chicago Bears. Okay. Anybody remember Super Bowl 34? The tackle. We saw that play right here when we had Chili that night. Tennessee Titans. St. Louis Rams. Last play of the game. He was 18 inches short. I mean, he was 18 inches short. But do you understand from the point of view of the rule maker? He may as well have been 99 yards short. If he's going to be 18 inches short, he may as well be 99 yards short. Short is short, is short is short is short. And you know, when we forgive, it, you know, it's not as if, it's not, it's not that we should act as if nothing bad happened. Because the whole reason we do forgive is because something bad has happened. It's just that we must never, ever, ever give up making forgiveness the goal. Because you see, forgiveness, forgiveness is the air in your lungs. Forgiveness and grace and mercy, it's like air. And, and there's only room to inhale the next lungful when you've just exhaled. And if you insist on withholding, refusing to give someone else the kiss of life that they desperately need, then you're not going to be able to take in any more yourself. You're just not going to. And you're going to suffocate. And some of us are here today suffocating because all you've done is just inhale the grace of God and it's time to exhale grace upon others. So it's either open or closed. And if it's open and willing to give grace and mercy and forgiveness from the heart, then it's also going to be open to receive grace and mercy and love from God. But if it's locked up to one, it's going to be locked up to the other. It will be. It will. And that takes us back to the very point of this parable where Peter's came up and said to Jesus in verse 21, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Some of the rabbis would say a maximum of three. So Peter thought he was being generous. And Jesus' point when he says 70 times seven or 77 times, you know, the Jesus is kind of teasing him, and his point is this. If you're still counting how many times you have forgiven someone, you're not really forgiving them. You're just postponing revenge. So don't even think about counting. Just do it. Why? Because you have freely received. Now freely give. I do. I think we're that servant before the king. And so we come to the palace and we climb the stairs and we enter through the double doors into the throne room and we await the king. And the king comes out with a huge ledger book and he plops it onto the table. He opens it up to the front page where my name is there 
top right-hand corner, and he looks at the bottom line, and the king says to me, Randy, it looks like you owe me a lot of money. Is this figure right? You're in debt up to your eyeballs. Is that correct? And every last one of us would have to say, yes, that is correct. That is, and, 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 you know, I, I promise I'll pay it back, even though both I and the king know that thousands and thousands of years of effort would never make a dent. And so I plead, please, mercy, don't send me away. I want to be in your kingdom. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. And do you know what the king does? You know what he does? Splank non. That's what he does. With the word of the king, there's no balance. And why? Because the word became flesh. That's why. He came into his own, and his own received him not. And they put him up on a cross to pay my incalculable debt. That's why Paul says in Colossians 2, 13 and 14, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He takes that sheet and he rips it out of the book and he rips it to shreds and he looks down at us and he smiles tenderly and he says, my child, my child, you are free and clear. Now go in peace. And do you know what that means for those of us who have received forgiveness. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means for those of us who have trusted the truth of the king? Do you know know what that means for our relationships at home and for our relationships with family and at work and relationships with maybe our former employer or our former spouse or our former, you name it. Do you know what that means? Well, it means a lot of things. But I'll tell you what it means first. It means that nobody's going to have to tell us how to behave. It means that nobody's going to have to tell us how to act. It means that nobody's going to have to tell us how to live. It means that nobody's going to have to tell us what to do when we get to the bottom of the stairs.